Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Just for a few minutes, uh, I want to share a Christmas Eve message with you. And we're going to go to a very familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, but before we do, if you've not been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, the women listed in the family history of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So the first chapter of Matthew lists what we call the genealogy or the family history of Jesus. And there are five women that are listed uh, in there. And so we spent the last couple of weeks looking at four of them. We'll look at uh, the fifth one today. And so today on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the mom of Christmas the mom of Christmas. So we'll start in Matthew 1, verse 16, and look at the end of this list of Jesus' family, and then we'll go back to Luke chapter 2 and look at the Christmas story today. Matthew 1, 16, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So Mary is indeed the mom of Christmas. But we're going to look at each of these letters, M-O-M, uh, to look at three ideas about the first Christmas and what it can mean to us today. So let's read first um, Matthew or Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And first we're going to look at the mileage of Christmas, the mileage of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. So the birth of Jesus happened just like any other birth, okay? Nine months, lots of mileage, lots of time, lots of waiting. And if you've ever had a baby, which we just had one born in our church this last week, we're so excited about. I don't know if I can say the name, so I won't say it yet, even though it's been everywhere, but I won't be the one to tell you what her name is. I really want to, but I won't. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, but you know, if you've had a baby, it's nine months of waiting, pain, discomfort, cankles, you know, all that fun stuff, morning sickness, all that type of stuff. And then there's also the fear and anxiety over the baby. You know, is the baby healthy? How's the delivery going to go? That sort of thing. And really, in reality, though, if you talk about mileage, uh, once the baby's born, that's when the journey actually officially begins. That's day one all over again because it's a brand new journey with more mileage. And Mary went through this exact same process, but uh, while she's very, very, very pregnant, she travels about 80 miles with her, with her, her soon-to-be husband to register at this census. So think about that. If you're nine months pregnant and you're going to either walk or ride on horseback, basically, uh, you know, from here uh, to Clinton, Okay. That's a long way to go in those conditions, and yet they did. They had to travel a long way, all this mileage for Jesus to come into the world. And maybe you've not had a baby, but maybe in your life you've racked up some miles. Maybe this year you've racked up 
uh, a lot of miles, like you wish that your life had a credit card attached to it, so you would have tons of frequent flyer miles uh, in exchange for all the stuff that you had to deal with this year. And maybe you're tired at this time of year, and you're kind of worn out, and maybe you're even on the edge. Maybe you're thinking, okay, if one more thing happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. If one more roadblock on my journey of life happens soon enough, I may snap. Maybe that's where you are in your mileage this year. And maybe on that journey, you feel alone and hopeless. Here's the interesting thing. Mary was traveling with Jesus, wasn't she? So even though he, yes, so even though he wasn't born yet, she was traveling with him. And the same can be true for your life. If you feel tired, you feel worn out, you feel stressed out, you're about ready to crack, you can let Jesus walk with you. This can be the time of year where you maybe reconnect with him in a way you haven't for a long time, so you can not feel alone or hopeless. Maybe, on your, maybe you're on your faith journey and you feel like you're wandering in circles, like I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm trying to be the right person, but I feel like I'm not really getting anywhere, and I thought there'd be some kind of benefit to living God's way, and I'm just not really seeing any truth in that, and so maybe your mileage has you discouraged. So my encouragement for you is as you travel, as you put on miles, don't lose hope. Don't give up. You can travel with Jesus this year, even if you put on quite a bit of mileage in your journey. The second thing that we see here in Christmas is the ordinariness of Christmas. By all accounts, it was a very ordinary event that happened. So let's look, continue on Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Mary herself is very ordinary. If you want to give her a nickname, you can nickname her Ordinary Mary. She's an ordinary teenage Jewish girl from an ordinary family. She's engaged to a very ordinary carpenter named Joseph, and they live a very ordinary life, except for these kind of extraordinary claims that she's making regarding her pregnancy, because it's kind of, they're, they're not married yet, and so in their culture, uh, they would, that would not be a cool thing. Like their neighbors would look at them differently. Joseph's first inclination is to get rid of her because this is a stain on not only her and her family, but now him and his family. And so she's ordinary except for these things that she can't quite prove. But everything else about her life, even her pregnancy, even the birth of her baby is very normal. Nothing special. The only thing that's unique is sort of the way in which it happens, that they're out of town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, because, guys, listen, men, listen, Joseph forgot to make an ar- a reservation at the hotel in Bethlehem. Okay? Now, on the other hand, it was, you could say it's all part of God's plan. So, guys, that's your out. If you ever forget something like that, you can say, hey, read the Bible. It's maybe part of God's plan. So the only unique thing about this birth is that he was born and he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. That was his first bed, this stable filled with hay. So everything about Christmas on the surface is completely ordinary. Maybe you look at your life and you're like, yeah, that's me. If you were going to give me a label, it is ordinary. That's exactly how I am. And we do this, I think, because many times we compare ourselves to like celebrities or athletes or movers and shakers. And of course, we don't measure up to that standard. It's impossible. Well, if I had their skill or ability, of course, I'd be somebody. Or if I had their money, of course, I would, I would feel like I'm really worth something. But we always fall short when we have that impossible standard. But it's not just the people in the magazines or on TV or in the movies that we can compare ourselves to. It's even your neighbor. It's even somebody across town that you look at them and say, if I had their life, my life would be more than ordinary. Like you look at maybe a mom down the street and she's super mom. 
Like she cuts the sandwiches in a little shapes for the kids at school every single day. And every time there's a dress-up week at school, which is like every other week now, you know, elementary parents, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Like this week, it's spirit week. In two weeks, it's this week. And then it's Christmas week. And then it's Halloween week. And they dress their kids up every day for every event, all year long. They're super mom, right? You look at those people and you think, well, I can't be like that. If I had their life, things would be different. They've got it all together. And here I am, a hot mess. I'm just ordinary. Sometimes spiritually, even we can feel abandoned by God. We can feel ordinary in his eyes. You might look at your life and say, okay, you talk about God having a plan for me and you preach that all the time and I, I want to believe that, but I need to see something. I don't feel like I'm anything that God would want to use. I'm just a normal, messed up, ordinary person. That's my life. Nothing says different about me. Nothing says difference maker about me. I'm not gifted or equipped for anything that God even would want to use. But this ordinary Christmas shows us actually the opposite is true. God's not looking for someone extraordinary because he's already extraordinary. All God's looking for, for you and for me, is an ordinary person who's willing to be used by him in extraordinary ways. Mary is an example of that. She was an ordinary person that God used in an extraordinary way. And not only her, but you, if we've looked at the last couple of weeks in this series, that's been the purpose. The women that we've looked at in the family line of Jesus are normal women. Sometimes they're less than normal women, and God still used them in great ways, and he's no different. He can do the same thing for you. Even ordinary Mary had a plan from God. Then we, as we continue on in the story, we see the message of Christmas, the message of Christmas. Let's continue Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So it's almost like we cut from one scene to another that aren't connected. We have a baby born in Bethlehem, and then we cut to shepherds in a field. They, these do not go together until something amazing and supernatural happens. These shepherds are in the field watching over their flock like they do every single day and night. They're also very ordinary. But then an angel appears to them with amazing news. I have a good news of great joy. They're like, what could possibly this mean, what could this mean, right? What, what is the message that these angels must have? Maybe we won the lottery and we can, you know, leave our life of shepherding. What's the good news that we have? The angel tells them a baby's been born in Bethlehem. Again, that, that's okay. So I'm sure there are lots of babies being born in Bethlehem right now. Who cares? What difference does that make? But let's look at the word the angels use here for just a second to look at what this message of Christmas really is and then what it does. The first thing they say here, the first words of the angel are fear not. And the last words of the angel are peace on earth. So the message of Christmas removes fear from our hearts and our lives and replaces it with supernatural, everlasting peace. Even in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the prophecies about Jesus from hundreds of years before, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Maybe in your life there's not a lot of peace right now. Maybe there's a lot of turmoil. Maybe there's a lot of issues going on. Maybe there's a lot of just upheaval in your life. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, even through what you're facing right now. 
in the world around us. If you've watched the news lately or maybe ever, you've seen peace is hard to come by in our society and in our world, but Jesus is over the world. He's the prince of peace. He removes fear and brings peace. Then the angels say that it's good news, which is what the word gospel means. When we talk about the gospel, that simply means good news. Talk about the gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. It's the good news about Jesus written by that person. It's good news, which is also hard to come by, isn't it? But the good news of Christmas is that someone has come who has shown us a better way to live. Someone has come in whom we can put our hope. Someone has come to right all the wrongs in the world and in your life, and someone has come who can save us from ourselves. This birth of Jesus is certainly good news. Then the angel says, it's good news that brings great joy. So this, this is a time of joy. Again, even, no matter what you faced this year, no matter who maybe you're grieving over having lost this last year, I know that this, this time we talk about joy and peace. You're like, well, I don't really feel that. I don't really sense that. The angel says Christmas brings great joy because joy is not conditional. Happiness is very much conditional. I can feel great one minute and I can feel really down the next, and that's normal. That's human. Those are called emotions, but joy can supersede that in your life. Even in the midst of grief and pain and heartache and sadness, joy can be a part of your life. Hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced this, especially in the darkest of times, not just in the good times. It's easy to be, oh, yeah, I'm full of joy when the bank account's full and the family's healthy and life is great. That's probably happiness, not joy. Joy really kicks in in those times where we need it the most. So hopefully, no matter what you're thinking or how you're thinking or what you're facing or dealing with this Christmas, you can live a life of joy. And the angel says joy, so it's not like, you know, it's not like a religion thing because sometimes we're like, I want to I do the right thing all the time. I want to be the right person. And those are noble goals, but that can lead to a life that's not full of joy because then I feel like, oh, I messed up again or God's unhappy with me again or I've got to follow all these rules. It's not about this religion. It's talking about this person that was born. It's a faith-filled life that is joyous. He came to bring us joy. Then the angels say at the end of their message that it's for all people. So this message of Christmas is not just for the enlightened or the privileged or the fortunate or the extraordinary. It's for everyone. Later in John's gospel, we know this verse, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So this gift given at Christmas is for everyone. It's good news that brings great joy to all the people. Then one more thing as we finish the Christmas story in Luke 2, 15, we see that they don't just receive this message, but that it leads to action in their life. Let's finish up Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So these these shepherds, they go through a quick three-step process before meeting the angel and then after. So first they're wondering, right? They see the angels, they hear the message, and then they're like, is this true? Like, is there something special about this baby? And they say, let's go find out. So they wonder, and then they kind of, they wander as well. And so maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you're not quite convinced, or maybe you kind of have had a relationship with him, but it's been a while. So are you wondering or are you just kind of waiting around? 
That's where they, they just wait. The baby's not going to come to them. They had to go to find out for themselves. So maybe as you're questioning things or you're looking up things or you're asking even God in some way, okay, is this all real? Sincerely ask. Sincerely seek. Sincerely find what you're looking for and you will find it as you wonder. Then the second step is they worship. So they wonder, then they worship. When they find that it's true, all they can do is worship this baby, which is going to be weird for them, right? You put, like, we think it's cute now. We have nativities, and it just makes sense. In the moment, these shepherds probably think they're out of their minds. Why are we bowing down to a baby again? Like, these angels really came and told us this. This is weird. But they worshiped him because they, they, something in them told them this is true. They said everything happened just as the angels had said. So again, if you're on a journey of faith, my hope is that when you finally discover that Jesus is who he claims to be, your only response is to worship him. Your only thing left to do is to give your life over to him. That can be you this Christmas. And then the third thing that they do as we begin to close is they go from wondering to worshiping to witnessing. They don't just keep it to themselves. They tell everyone what they've seen and heard. They tell them the entire story, and somehow, years later, it gets down to Luke, who writes it at the beginning of his gospel. These apostles are the first sharers of the gospel, and this message has spread ever since. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this. Are you motivated, like the shepherds, to share the message of Christmas? Is it so important to you that you just can't keep it in? You've got to tell everyone around you this good news of great joy for all the people. In a world that is suffering and searching, you and I can be the ones that will change their lives through the greatest message ever shared, the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus. So again, maybe this year you've put on a lot of miles. Maybe this year you feel ordinary. And so this year my hope for you is that you would hear the message of Christmas, that God loves you so much that he sent his son as a gift for you to change your life, to free you from sin and guilt and shame, to walk with you every day of your life, to give you hope and purpose, and to make you part of the greatest message ever shared. You are a part of this message continuing on 2,000 years later. So this Christmas, I want you to experience the good news of great joy for all people.